Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you are in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Today's guest is Brittany Hodak. Brittany is an award-winning entrepreneur, author, and customer experience speaker who has delivered keynotes across the globe. She has worked with some of the world's biggest brands and entertainers, including Walmart, Disney, Katy Perry, and Dolly Parton. Brittany founded and scaled an entertainment startup for uh, to eight figures before exiting, and she is a former chief experience officer of experience.com. Her debut book, Creating Superfans, released this past month, January 10th, 2023, and we couldn't be happier to have her talk to us about creating superfans, which is also super Chicago because SNL will tell you the superfans. The Bears. You gotta love it, the Bears. So yeah, so Brittany, thank you for giving us your time and being on the show. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. I wish we were doing this in Chicago so that we could all be at Giordano's enjoying some deep dish together. <laughs> that would be great. So uh, the next book that you uh, publish, we'll have you back on. We'll do it at a Giordano's and we'll have to all dress up like the SNL super fans. It'd be amazing. That's I'm all about this. I, I'm in. Awesome. The Bears. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So Brittany, tell us your origin story. Tell us the, the how it started, where you went, why entrepreneurship, why is super fans so important, or you know the customer experience experience so important to you. Uh, just give us the the lay of the land. Yeah, well, I like so many entrepreneurs was a total accidental entrepreneur. I kind of always thought growing up that if you wanted to do big things, you needed to work at big companies. And as somebody who was born in the 80s, entrepreneurship was not really celebrated or even acknowledged much in pop culture when I was growing up. So it wasn't a career path I'd ever even really considered. And when I was a kid, I, I grew up in a really small town in Oklahoma called Roland. And I really wanted to work in the music industry. Like I was just so obsessed with music videos and live performances and the radio and just all I wanted to do was be in the music business. And when I was 16 years old, I got the opportunity to go job shadow at the local radio station for a school project. And I said, please, please give me a job. I will do anything. Just please let me be a part of this. And the station manager said, well, you look like you're about the right size for the mascot costume how would you feel about being <laughs> sting the bee because the pop station was b98 and i was like yes i will absolutely absolutely be the bee that sounds like so much fun so i became a radio station mascot which was a really fun first job and i got to go to every like state fair and rodeo and carnival and car wash grand opening in like a 75 mile radius. And I loved it. I would have done that job for free, not just because it was fun to be the bee, but because I got free CDs and concert tickets. And we had a, like a swap deal with the movie theater. So like I would give the kids in the movie theater free CDs and they would give me free movie tickets. It was so fun. And then about six months after I started that job, because my maiden name was Brittany Jones, the manager one day came in and was like, you know, I keep seeing ads on TV for this Bridget Jones diary movie. What could we do and call it Brittany Jones diary? And, you know, with all the naive 
naiveness of a naivete of a of a 17 year old with like nothing <laughs> to lose. I was like, I don't know. I mean, you're always talking about trying to get more people on our website. What if I just interviewed all the bands that came to town and we called it Brittany Jones Diary? And it was like, you know, what happened when Brittany went bowling with Blink-182 or whatever? And my manager was like, oh, like that other movie, that almost famous movie. Yeah, that's getting lots of attention. Like they're saying that's going to win some Oscars. Let's do that. Just make a list of all the bands you want to see. We'll set everything up with the labels and, you know, HTML, right? And I was like, yeah. And then like trying to remember those letters to look them up later to see what it meant. Uh, and then like very quickly taught myself some really basic coding so that I could blog before blogging was really like a word anybody used for our station's website. So that pretty much ruined any chances of me ever getting a real job because as a teenager, I was getting paid to hang out with famous people and then go back to the radio station and record, you know, little fun tidbits about it to try to get people to go read my blog. So I started looking. That's like the ultimate teen job. Oh, it was amazing. You, 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 that's the ultimate teen job. Yeah. And I was, oh, I, I worked at, a, I worked at Boyd Sox Park or Comiskey Park baseball stadium. I thought that was amazing. That is pretty amazing. No, that. <laughs> no, you, you, you beat me out for sure. You no, you beat me out for sure. You got to hang out with like bands and like, just, Hey, here's a list of bands I want to meet introduce me to them and I'll just get to hang out with them. That's amazing. It was a lot of fun. It was a very cool first job. And as you can imagine, pretty much like ruined any chances of me ever getting like a quote unquote normal job because I was like, oh, people will pay you to do anything. And so I went on to do a lot of entertainment jobs throughout college and then after I graduated. So I worked at record labels and music magazines and entertainment companies. And I was just really, really obsessed with the concept of fandom like what makes some artists blow up and become the biggest fans in the world when others just kind of go away you know either they they self-destruct like they implode or or the label just keeps spending money and the band keeps working and working and working and then they just like never break you know they get they go away they fade into oblivion so i was trying to figure out what was the common denominator why did some bands go viral and others went bust and what i started to see again and again and again was the bands that had the most success and the ones who went on to enjoy you know the the longest sort of most fruitful careers were the ones who had the most connection to their fans they were the ones who were inviting their fans to participate in everything that they were doing. And it's it's funny now that, you know, the music industry, like the rest of the world, has changed a lot in the past two decades. But now that's sort of like the open secret. It's like, oh, yeah, like you've got to engage your fans from the beginning if you want to create a long lasting career, if you want to find success, because super fandom is a two way street. And for anybody out there listening, the quickest way to get somebody to think about your business in not the sense of, oh, they're a commodity provider. Are they the one I'm going to choose to do this thing that lots of other people do? But instead, to think of you as a category of one. Like, I don't care how many architects there are. I don't care how many engineers there are. I want to work with that one because she or he is the best in the business. And I know that I want to work with the best. And so this idea of going from commodity provider to category of one really means not just getting clear on your own story, but figuring out how to connect with those prospects and customers that you're trying to reach so that they feel like they're a part of something bigger and you're a part of something bigger. It's not just about 
you know, the problem that you're solving for them. It's about the transformation that you're going to help make possible in their life because your cross, your paths have crossed. We're talking about creating that, that story, creating that, uh, how do I create that fandom? How does one start that journey? Right. Like that, that seems like, yeah, everybody wants to be the Rolling Stones. Uh, you know, they're the one of one, right? Like that's, everybody wants to be that, but uh, as a construction company engineer, architect, wh- whatever it is, how do they start their journey to become the Rolling Stones or the Beatles or who, you know, whoever your band of choice is? Well, so the first thing that you've got to do is really ask yourself, what makes you the best at what you do? Like, why do you deserve super fans? How are you different than all of the other architects in your city? How are you different than all of the other engineers? And if the answer is, I don't know, then how in the world is a customer ever going to figure it out? How's a prospect going to figure it out? If you don't even know what makes you the best, how are they ever going to be able to figure it out? So the first thing to ask yourself is, what is your superpower? What are you the best at? What is it that drives you, that is your passion or your purpose, right? Because you'll find power in that purpose. And the sooner that you can identify it, the sooner that you'll be able to make it come alive to everyone around you. And the sooner you'll be able to harness more of your time and attention in that area. And all of a sudden, you're not trying to compete and win in like 30 different areas to say, we're the best at this, and we're the best at this, and we're the best at this, and we're the best at this, because that takes you back into the commodity world, right? Like, we're trying to be the fastest, we're trying to be uh, the least expensive, we're trying to be the one that's closest to you. Forget about all of that, because somebody else can come along and be faster, or cheaper, or closer, what is it that is uncopyable about you? What are you the absolute best in the world at? And that's where you've got to start. And if you think about bands, there's so many one hit wonders who have like a great song, but that's it. Like they got lucky once because they either wrote or were given a song or it was produced really well. But the ones who sort of fade away are the ones often who haven't developed that unique point of view. The answer is they're not different from everybody else who's getting airplay. They just like had the great song that week or that month. So you've really got to start with your own story. What are you the best in the world at? Can you give an example of what you've seen as uncopyable? I I really like that term uncopyable because that in its own right is where uniqueness comes from. So what have you seen? And obviously anyone listening, this is going to be uncopyable. So you're going to have to figure out your own. But I think examples and what you've seen is really important. So people start thinking in the right manner about it. What can you you tell them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I have met engineers who were very artistically driven. So in addition to having that sort of scientific engineering mind, they also could could sketch or draw anything with just absolute precision. Like you would think it was a photograph, not something that somebody did with a pencil. And because of that, they were able to bring that artistic eye, that attention to detail, that appreciation for beauty into their point of view. So it wasn't just somebody who was like, yeah, I'm going to make you a cat. And like, we're going to look at some stuff and, and plug some things in. It was, I've got a unique point of view as an artist and I'm going to build something that is beautiful and unique and unlike anything else. So 
maybe if you're listening, that's that that sounds like you. You're like, yeah, I've got the science, but I've also got the art. I've also got that that artistic flair. Other times people tell me their uniqueness is they absolutely care the most. Like you're never going to meet somebody who cares about customers more than they care. And that's their thing. They know everything about their customers and not just their customers, their customers, significant others and their kids and their pets and everything else because they're a people person. And so when their customers call them, it's not just to talk about the project. It might be because like they want recommendations on where Jenny should start taking piano lessons or like, what was the name of that summer camp that Bobby went to? Because I want to send little Jimmy to that Bobby camp. Now, if you're somebody who does not love to talk to people and doesn't thrive on remembering all of those details, you should not try to make that your thing, right? Like that is what I mean when I say don't try to compete and win in 10 different areas. Maybe you're not the most personable, but maybe you love research and you are on top of every trend, every innovation, every new piece of technology before anybody else. Awesome. That might be your thing. That might be what makes you uncopyable. And if you can bring that perspective to everything you do, what you're going to do is attract those clients who care the most about that thing. And if you look at the Avengers, you've got all these superheroes, they all have very different and unique skill sets. But together, they are all more powerful than every one individual, right? Because there's like only so many problems you can Hulk smash your way out of. And sometime you need, you know, an Iron Man or a Black Widow or Captain America to, to come along and bring their uniqueness to the table. So my very first tip is to ask yourself, what do you love about your job? And what do you feel like you're better at than everybody around you? And where those points connect, you're getting close to discovering what your uniqueness is or what could become your superpower that you talk about when you talk about why somebody should choose to work with you instead of one of your competitors. So, you know, since we're talking about super and might as well ask about it now, you had a book called Super Fans. But super isn't actually necessarily what everyone thinks it is. Why don't you tell us what super actually stands for? So super is an acronym in the book, Creating Superfans. I share a framework that I like to call the supermodel. And I call it the supermodel, honestly, just because it's fun and it's funny. <laughs> and who doesn't want to say they know a supermodel, right? Awesome. Like if you're ever asked at a party, like, do you know a supermodel? And you could be like, yeah, I know a great one. So super is an acronym that is simple by design, simple to remember, simple to implement, simple to teach your team. And it's all about the things that you need to do to create those those customer advocates who come back again and again. So those who see you not as just a commodity provider, but a category leader, and maybe even that category of one, like I was talking about before. So super stands for S, start with your story. U, understand your customer story. P, personalize. E, exceed expectations. And R, repeat. And if you guys want, we can talk about what each one of those means and how people can start implementing things from the supermodel right away. Well, yes. Yes. How do we implement supermodel? <laughs> I mean, yes. No, no question. As, can't as, leave us hanging. As, okay. We, we, need, we need the nitty gritties. <laughs> and as a new dad, thanks for improving my dad jokes. Because <laughs> I now I, ha, I now have an, another one that I can put in the pocket. You know, having a five month old, I'm I'm slowly you know making sure that I've got all of these for or for later on. We definitely want to hear about those. 
And I'm going to circle back uh, once once we kind of talk through these. I'm going to circle back when I have some insight as to why essentially these different letters, why you came up with this acronym. Okay, awesome. Well, first of all, Will, congrats on the new little one. I'm a mom of two under five boys, so I know how uh, how hectic it gets with the little one in the house. But thank you. Yeah, let's let's jump right into super. So I already told you a little bit about S. Start with your story. That's all about understanding your uniqueness. And just to be clear, when I say start with your story, I don't mean lead with your story. I don't mean you should be out there, you know, like rolling the window down at stoplight saying like, hey, I'm an architect. I mean, I don't know, maybe that might work for some people. But when I say start with your story, what I mean is everything has to originate with your story. Everything's got to come out of that. Like that has to be at the core of what you do. Because if you don't have that as your North Star or guiding light, it's very difficult to differentiate yourself. It's very different to explain to a customer and especially to a prospect why they should choose you in a way that's not, I'm the cheapest, I'm the quickest, I can get the raw materials the fastest, right? Because you want to move beyond that because you don't want to just be working with customers who are making the decision because you were the lowest bid in the RFP, right? So start with your story. Understand what it is about you that makes you the perfect choice for your prospects and customers. And then don't be shy about sharing that. So in my book, I talk about creating a story set list, which is essentially a set of stories that you can deploy at various times to strategically connect your story to that of your customers and to showcase all of the things that make you you without ever feeling like you're bragging or, you know, regurgitating the same stuff over and over again. So that's us. Start with your story. So then talk about you here. Hold on. Hold on. How? So stories obviously you, you you have these stories for your your business and and they're embedded in there how how is that essentially passed on through the the whole company right because a lot of times you have founders or owners co-founders they have those stories they you know they were there in the beginning they they saw the struggles that happened to to grow to the 5 million 10 million 30 million 50 million uh dollar company so how how do you how does that story that you start with get transferred through time through different employees I love, love, love this question, Justin, because here's the thing that all good business people either know going in or figure out. Your customer's experience will never be better than your employee's experience. It cannot, it will not happen. If you want to create amazing customer experiences, your employees have to feel that same love, have to feel like they are part of something bigger. And the same way that you need to connect your story with your customer story, you've got to connect your story with your employee's story. So every employee should be able to have their own origin story that takes them from what they loved as they were when they were a kid to where they're at right now. So that when somebody says, why should I work with this business? Every employee can very confidently articulate not just the company's story, but their own, because the reason in a lot of instances of why you work with this company, why should you work with this company? The answer should be because of me. Let me tell you about me. And you're not just getting me, you're getting this amazing company. So much like, you know, to use the Chicago analogy for you guys, the Bulls and Michael Jordan, it has to be intertwined. If you want to talk about the company. It's not just the purpose and the legacy. It's the people that are there right now. And I know you guys know that, you know, 
holy trilogy or, or hat trick, if we want to pretend that's a Blackhawks thing, All right. um, <laughs> product and people, uh, excuse me, process and people and technology, like all of those things coming together. So the way that you do that is first by having leadership very clear on what the business story is, what the uniqueness is, and making sure that you're only hiring people who are aligned with that vision and understand that. Make it be a non-negotiable because every employee is in the experience department. Every single person on your team, I don't care if it's the CEO or somebody who's interning and it's their very first day there, they are representing the company. The minute they put on that like literal or metaphorical name tag, the minute they get behind a counter or a computer terminal, they are the brand. And even though it's not at all logical for a customer to have an interaction with one person for 20 seconds or two minutes and make like a judgment of the whole company and think that the whole company is just a dozen or a hundred or a thousand people just like that, like that is what we do. That is how humans make decisions all the time uh, and cast judgments on companies. So every single employee is in the experience department. Every single employee should, as a condition of being hired, to be articulate, to be able to articulate why they want to work at your company, not just like why they want a job, why they want to work at your company and what they bring to the table. And those ingredients together will help every single employee construct that narrative of this is why I love being a part of this team. And this is why you're going to love being our partner in whatever project it is that we're going to hopefully be lucky enough to have the opportunity to work on together. That's awesome. I love that. I uh, also uh, vibing a whole bunch with you just based on the amount of times you've used the word purpose is electrifying to me. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, that I mean, that's what it is, right? Like, clearly, I was not alive in the 19, like 40s or 50s. Maybe back then, some people did just go to work for a paycheck, right? Like, maybe that's what it was about back in the day. But these days, people want something more. They want a purpose. They want a passion. Employees, customers too. But, you know, customers give you money. Employees give you something much more valuable. And that, of course, is their time, right? So you want to find the ones who feel that they are led there because of a purpose, because of passion, not just because they want to get a paycheck. Well said. So why don't we move on? Okay. On to the you. On to the you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, let's 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 get on to the U. Okay. So U stands for understand your customer story. And you know, I've already said a couple of times that super fans are created at the intersection of your story and your customer story. So it's only natural that those two are going to come together. So after you get real clarity on your own superpower, what it is that you're the best in the world at, why you deserve super fans, if you will, you've got to start to understand who are the people that are most positioned to benefit from what you do? Like who are those ultimate super fans that you're looking for? And so in the book, um, I have a whole framework for really listening, like teaching everybody on your team to not just listen passively, but to really actively listen to uncover things that a customer might not say on the surface or a prospect might not reveal. So, you know, understanding really what what it is that they're struggling with, not just on the surface, but sort of those struggles beneath the struggles. What are those things so that you can understand and articulate how you're positioned to help them with whatever the transformation is that they're looking for. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes from Teddy Roosevelt is, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So this idea, excuse me, 
That's a really, really great uh, Teddy Roosevelt quote. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so yeah, this idea of empathy and authority. And yet too often, like we want to be all authority. We want to be like, let me tell you what I know. Let me tell you what you need. Let me tell you what this is all about. Like benefits, you know, features, like all of those things. And in reality, what people want to know is what do you know about me? Like, what do you know about my life to help me make the determination of if this is going to be the right fit for me? So, you know, we're not in just the product business anymore, just the service business anymore. Like, I'll never forget when I got my first trademark, my attorney was like, is this a product or a service? Because the USPTO says it has to be one or the other. And I was like, well, then the patent and trademark office is wrong because there's no such thing as just a service business or just a product business anymore. Every single business, including the one being represented by you, dear listener, is an experience business. We are living in an experience economy. All of those lines have blurred. And if you want to give your customer an amazing experience, if you want them to come back and tell their friends, you've got to show that you understand them. You talked about empathy and authority. Okay. And empathy, I think, is just a way to be able to walk a mile in someone else's shoes, really. Talk a little bit about authority, though. It's interesting that you point that out. Can you explain, like, what do you mean by authority here? Sure. Well, what I mean by authority is most of the time, especially when we're talking about trades where there's, you know, a high degree of of skill that goes into it, customers want to know that they're working with somebody who knows what's up. <laughs> like, I don't want to have to become an architecture expert. I just want to hire an architect who I know is at the top of his game or her game. They know what they're doing. So having the authority, meaning I can showcase that I know my stuff. Like I, I've got it under control. You don't have to worry about it. But not just leading with that, like I know all the right answers, but the getting to know that person first so that you can inject or insert, insert <laughs> that empathy into your answers. So it's not just like... <laughs> I'm the best at building houses and build any house in the world. It's tell me about your family. I want to really understand your family because I can build anything. But in order to be able to build the right house for you, I need to understand how your family is going to use it. What's important to you? What works? Because I'm not just trying to build any house. I'm trying to build the right house for the most important family in the world, which is yours. And so having that balance of it's not just, yeah, I can do anything. It's Yes, I'm really talented at what I do, but what makes me the most talented is that I know that I'm here to make not what I think is the best, but what you think is the best. So let's talk about your needs, and then I'll tell you how my strengths can bring your needs to life. Sounds like there's a few books out there when it comes to selling, and I honestly do not remember all of them or what the names was. I want to say this is like Challenger Sales. Zig Ziglar said something about this as well. But kind of what you're talking about is you're connecting the dots of okay, I can walk a mile in your shoes and I've got a solution. I think I have a solution to your problem, but I'm going to ask the right questions in order to be able to say, yes, for sure, I have the right. So in a way, what you're doing, even from a sales process perspective, is qualifying or disqualifying whoever you're talking to. So anyone that's listening to this, it's really just connecting the dots in, are you the right fit? Absolutely. And not to get all inception-y here with an acronym, within an acronym, but <laughs> in the book, I actually talk about 
when I say understand your customer's story, story is an acronym. And what it stands for is getting clear on what the customer is struggling with. What's the transformation they're looking for? What other options are they considering or could they theoretically consider? What reservations might they have about working with you? And then the why stands for you. Are you the right fit? And in the book, I talk about if you're not, absolutely say so. Like this is the time where you part ways. You never want to take on a customer who you have, you know, that like nagging feeling might not be the right fit because then what's going to happen is you're creating somebody out there in the marketplace who had a terrible experience with you. Um, not because of anything wrong that you did, but because they were the wrong fit. So not every customer is the right customer in the book. I offer some strategies about how to sort of lovingly let somebody know that they're not a great customer if they think they are, because that's the other thing, right? Is sometimes people are like, I'm your perfect customer, but you know better. So ways to sort of let them come to that determination. And and then that way you leave them as somebody who's like, oh yeah, they're really great. They weren't the right fit for me. But if I meet somebody who fits XYZ criteria, I will absolutely say nice things with them versus trying to like fit that square peg into the round hole and having somebody who hates you at the end and is out there just telling everyone you're terrible. So what you're saying is don't do the thing that we do in Chicago, which is give the middle finger, say a few and drive off. (laughs) You want to do the opposite of that. Okay, got it. You want to try to do the opposite of that. Although I get it, right? Sometimes, and that's, it's another thing I talk about in the book is like, I think that the old adage about like the customer always being right is not only wrong, but also harmful. And it's sort of widespread acceptance. Like the customer is not always right. And even a right customer, like somebody, even if they're not wrong, might not necessarily be the right customer. So while I believe that every customer deserves the opportunity to be heard, I absolutely know for a fact that the customer is not always right. And if you believe that, not only are you going to you know, encounter a lot of bad behavior from your customers, but you're going to lose some good customers and probably also some good employees along the way for those bad customers. Thank you for saying that. I'm just, I'm just going to say that out loud. Thank you for saying that. What are your thoughts on niching down, right? So, you know, and I know that that probably doesn't actually, let me just leave it that way. What are your thoughts on niching down and how that impacts the getting super fans? The answer is going to be different for everyone. I don't believe there's any one right answer. That's, again, going back to why I say start with your story. You've got to figure out who it is that you want to serve. And that may mean niching down and you know, continuing to peel that onion. And that may mean like serving the whole salad. And there's not always one right or wrong answer. It's about who you are, what your strengths and uniquenesses are, and the way that you want to impact the world. So does it help the you as in your story, uh, their story situation, or it theoretically could? Oh, yeah, I totally theoretically could. I read a really fascinating article in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago about some kids who decided that they wanted to find old schoolhouses like from the 60s and 70s and renovate them into apartment buildings. And so sure. they went and found an investor. They went and found an architect. And it's like three guys that now I think it was like in Pennsylvania or something they started. And they've now done like five or six of these old schoolhouses. And they're like, that's all we want to do. Like, we don't want to do anything else. And it's like, that's great. Like if all you want to do is go buy old school houses and renovate them into like really dope one and two bedroom apartments, you should do that. But like, if that sounds terrible to you, then like, don't go do something else. That makes sense. All right. To Pete, 
I can spell super, which is really surprising. I, I'm going to tell you that I'm a bad speller, but I can spell super. So S-U-P. <laughs> P. P stands for personalized. Now, Will and Justin, are you guys familiar with the platinum rule? I am not. I don't think I am. No, I don't think I am. Okay, good. Well, I'm excited to share with you guys. And I feel like for people who work in construction and uh, engineering, like this is this is a really good role. So we all grew up with a golden rule, right? Treat others the way you want to be treated. The platinum rule comes from a book by a guy named Dr. Tony Alessandra um, sometime like back in the 90s, I think. And Dr. Alessandra says treating people the way you want to be treated is not the right answer anymore. You should treat people the way they want to be treated because not everyone wants to be treated the same way as you. Not everyone has the same backgrounds, the same beliefs, the same um, knowledge set, the same preferences. So to the extent that you can use technology to personalize the experiences for your prospects and customers, you are going to see better outcomes. And this is true of like the small things of, you know, what are their communication preferences? Do they want to talk on the phone? Do they want to send emails? Do they want to text? Are they sliding into your DMs? Like, what is it for them that feels best? All the way up to the, you know, the the, the big things of like, how are we, how are we structuring the scope of work? Like, how are we, like, what are the SLAs? Like, how are we communicating? What is our project management process? Like, do people want to be kept in the loop all the time? Or are they like, you got it. I trust you. I've got a foreman and a project manager. Just like, tell me when I can come see the finished product, right? The answer is not the same for every client. So to the extent that, of course, within the framework that you have for success, you can personalize certain parts of that experience for your customers to intentionally architect the experience that they each have. Their journeys will will feel better and more intuitive to them, which will at the end make them think like, wow, that was so great. I can't work, wait to work with that company again. I love the platinum rule already. I'm already about it. So throw in, throw in the golden rule. and the. It's a great rule. It's a really good book too. Garbage. It's trash. But now the platinum rule, on the other hand, that's premium. One question though, the U and the P, do, do the, there's a clash there? Like, cause if, if say we were email only, we're not right. But like, say that's, that's how we operate. Their personal is a call, like personalization is a call. Does that crack the crack the egg on the you or the P or both? Or how does that how does that work? Well, it depends on what your non-negotiables are. So going all the way back to S, like what is it that is a non-negotiable for you? If you're like, we only work with customers who want emails, like that's all yeah. we do. And we do it because of X, Y, Z, like not because we're dicks and we don't want to be accommodating, yeah. but because it has <laughs> to happen this way, yeah. then that is something you absolutely want to talk about before you decide whether or not you are the right fit or the right option for that customer. And going back to your question about like, when do you niche down versus going broad? Like these are all important things to figure out. And that's why, you know, when you look at the conflict that happens in businesses, when you look at the things that people complain about when it comes to their experience or customer service, it's almost always communication. It's you didn't communicate with me. Oh, yeah. You communicated with me improperly. You communicated with me in a way that made me feel attacked or misunderstood or like my opinion didn't matter. So figuring these things out ahead of time 
can eliminate a lot of that sort of static and get to the point to where you're creating consistently remarkable customer experiences because you've put it in the work and you've done, you know, you've done like all of this homework to say, this is what it looks like to work with us. And this is how we're going to accommodate our customers. Okay. I have to ask. I love how it stacks. I love how it stacks. Go ahead, Will. I got to ask, do you have a framework in here as well? of how to do, how to do that how to get how to get yes. to that just, <laughs> you do is there an acronym okay now 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 you got me curious is there an acronym here there's not another acronym for that no oh. but i do have several worksheets uh in the book and downloadables that people can can tap into to start to think about some of those things because you're right it does it can sometimes feel contradictory if you haven't done the work that precedes it. So it's like, it's like those Russian nesting dolls, right? I promise we're going to get to the outside, but in order to have the most stability, you've got to have the things on the inside first, because otherwise you're just like a hollow nesting doll. And what fun is that? Unless you're made of chocolate, I guess. Those are good. (laughs) Well, that would be tons of fun. One thing that's interesting when we talk about scalability, right? So building scale is personalization. Uh, certainly, you, if you personalize everything, this breaks scale, right? You just can't, I can't possibly handwrite every client. I have a note when you get to a certain size, because I just cannot possibly do that. Where, Where's the line of personalization in comparison to automation or, you know, more process? Well, so the two don't have to be exclusionary, right? Sometimes people think I've got to be high tech or I've got to be high touch and it's got to be one or the other. It certainly does not have to be one or the other. There are plenty of software programs out there that you can use. Punk Post is a great one. Postable is another one. Like there are countless ones that can send notes for you, but you may choose to say, I'm not going to automate the actual handwriting and mailing of a note to any customer who is responsible for more than $10 million a year of revenue. And instead of having that thing automatically go out, I'm going to have a reminder triggered to me or my assistant or somebody on the team that says, three days from now is Jonathan's birthday. Make sure Jonathan gets something nice, right? So you can use, you can still use technology to remind you of those important relationships. The other thing you can do when I talk about personalization. So let's say that you are a construction company. You could you know, create a lot of heroes at home with your customers, if you are sending home everybody with something special. So like, for instance, you know, that Will has a five month old. So maybe you have fun construction toys that you've created to give to every parent of a kid that's under the age of four. Now, maybe for anybody who's got kids from like five to nine, it's a Lego set. And it's all about like, you know, hey, I want to inspire the same love of building in your kiddos that I remember growing up, like whatever, right? So instead of saying we're going to do the same thing for everybody, it's what are a few things that we can systematize and say, here are 12 different ways that we know will go a long way toward creating an amazing experience with people who like fit into these various boxes, right? And then even if you're doing that, even if you're like, here's the Lego set that kids between the ages of five and eight get, here's the construction vehicle or the storybook, what's the like goodnight construction site? Like there's a million things you can use, right? Oh yeah. Yes. I just got this. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Perfect. Yes. So like, and you were probably like, oh, this is so great, right? Yep. Already read it a few times. Yep. 100%. I just gave that to Will. I swear I just gave it to him. That book, I just gave it to him. <laughs> yep. And every single time you read that book, what are you thinking of? 
Who are you thinking of? Obviously, Mr. Justin Nagel over here, uh, as well as my son going how great this is. So yeah, 100%. There you go. Justin has connected his story to yours, not just in a professional sense, but now you are thinking of Justin when you read that story to your son. He has now infiltrated your brain, not when you're sitting in front of your computer during your work, but at bedtime for your little ones. So that's what I mean when I talk about personalization. And in the book, I talk all about, you know, gift giving do's and don'ts and how to show up and and make someone feel appreciated and feel that validation. Because ultimately, that's what gifts are about, right? It's about validation and a physical manifestation of that relationship. It's not about like what the thing actually is in many instances. So Yes, all of those things are important. And yes, you can use technology. um, And it it doesn't have to be an either or like you can say, here are the 50 most important client relationships that we have. Here's what I'm going to do to ensure that there is a very frequent touch with all of these, but also to make sure that they're never going to get something that's the quote unquote, like mass thing that we're doing for a bunch of the clients who are bringing us, you know, between 50 and $100,000 a year of revenue or whatever the number is for your business. All right. Well, uh, that that is Pete. Let's go on to eat and let's move. Let's move right around. I, I feel like I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel very energized by this. I don't know how you feel. Well, I feel like I've, I'm already flowing with ideas of ways that uh, we could be better. So thank you already. Thank you. I'm connecting the dots. And uh, thank you for making me realize that Justin has infiltra- infiltrated my brain here. So thank you for that. Yeah. Now he knows the secret. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, now you know the secret. Well, you're very welcome. Um, E, as I said before, stands for exceed expectations. And, you know, I am a very firm believer in this idea that there are only three types of interactions that you can have at the end of any interaction that you have, whether it's you with a bunch of people or you one-on-one with another person, you by yourself with like a computer terminal in front of you because you got an email or whatever, you are going to walk away from every interaction feeling one of three ways better, worse, or exactly the same. That's it. At the end of this podcast, you, dear listener, and you, Justin and Will, are going to feel better, worse, or exactly the same. And I hope it's better, right? But it's either a nothing burger and you move on with the rest of your life, something that you're like, ah, well, where did that hour go? Or something that you're like, wow, I took all these notes. I had to like, you know, pull over to like write things down and net positive. So to the extent that you and everyone on your team can make every interaction possible a net positive for the person on the other end, not only are you, you know, quite literally making the world better because you're changing the lives of people around you, but you will also create super fans because what are people going to think when they think about working with you? They're going to think, oh, that was so easy. That was so fun. That was so much faster than I expected. That was so much better. And can you make every interaction positive? No, of course not. There are going to be times where you're going to have to deliver bad news. Something's going to be behind schedule, over budget. It's going to be another six months before the boat gets here with the supplies we were supposed to have two months ago, whatever. But you can take that from super negative to hopefully neutral by making sure that before you have that conversation, before that communication happens, you've thought through all the potential questions that your customer is going to have, how to answer them and how to say, here's what we're doing now. Here's the game plan going forward. I've already thought about how we're going to make this right or make this better before I got on the phone and burdened you with whatever this bad news is. So then at the end of the call, 
instead of feeling frustrated and angry and overwhelmed, they're feeling hopefully a bit more closure of like, okay, that sucked. That happened. I'm glad I've got somebody on my team who already knows what we're going to do to move forward from here, who's already thinking about what we're doing. I'm glad I've got someone who's like got this so that I can go back to worrying about the other 700 things I have to worry about. That's not like what I'm paying this person in this company to worry about for me. I'm going to take this a step further. It's not even the one time. You mentioned something about moving forward. The only way to be able to say that this interaction is going to get better moving forward is to have create a process or have a plan of a process in place. Right. And and this is, in a way, solving the root cause of the problem, not the incidental. This dumb thing happened or the or this really bad thing happened. It's this bad thing happened. And now I have a way to prevent this from happening or know how to deal with this thing moving forward. Right. Absolutely. And I have I have a framework in a book for this, too, you guys. It is unfortunately not. Yes. Okay, Inception time. Inception. (laughs) (laughs) I think you wrote this book with Will's brain in mind. He runs on frameworks. I, I know he will tell you this flat out. He runs on frameworks. I, I Yes. Oh, my God. I just wanted it to be really actionable. Like, I hate when I read a book when I'm like, yeah, I totally agree with that. Like, that's amazing. I want to do that. And then I read the book and I'm like, well, now what? Like, the book's over and it didn't tell me what to do. So this is an incredibly actionable guide. It's like a manual of this is how you improve the customer experience in your business and the employee experience of the people on your team who are in this mission with you versus like a, hey, guys, can't we all agree that we should be nicer and treat each other better? Like this is the sort of how to do it. And one of the frameworks is exactly that. It's like the correct way to apologize, which is, you know, not just acknowledging what went wrong, actually apologizing, apologizing, saying the words like, I'm sorry, without any expectation or qualifier or excuse, just I am sorry, owning up to it, even if it wasn't theoretically your fault, like you are still representing the company. So therefore, it is your fault if you are interfacing with the customer. Atoning, like saying what you're going to do to fix it, giving the person the response or the the opportunity to like say yes or no, like, do they accept it? Like, do they accept that so that you're sort of co-creating with them what you're going to do to make it better? And then the final A is adjust. And that's exactly, Will, what you just said. Like, here's what we're going to do differently moving forward to ensure this doesn't happen again. And sometimes that happens totally behind the scenes. And sometimes that's a collaborative process with your customer, or that's a process that you at least say to them, like, hey, just so you know, here's what engineering changed or here's what ops changed or technology changed or whatever. But this is the concrete step that we're taking to make sure that this thing that impacted you, A, does not impact you again, and B, does not impact others in the future. Love this. It's a great framework. Thank you. Even though it doesn't spell anything, I guess it spells, ah, (laughs) which is what your customer will say at the end. (laughs) <laughs> which which might which might be right. Yes. Ah. Uh, I love the framework. Oh, so poetry. <laughs> just making making sure. So the correct way to apologize. So it's not just acknowledging, but it's actually apologizing without any qualifiers. Atoning, what you're gonna essentially do to fix it, and then giving an opportunity to the client uh, to or to end user whoever it is. Uh, this is the part where I got a little. Uh, Fill that, fill the gap in there for me. Opportunity to give them to what? Getting something that they um, agree to. Like they agree that you have mended 
the fence, if you will, right? Like they are on board with whatever the the reparations are of like, this is what I'm doing to fix this. Okay. And then the final one is to adjust and essentially make the adjustment for all future interactions or all future. Essentially, this is kind of your process, people process technology side of whatever the adjustment is, this is how we're moving forward so that we're not falling to that landmine again. Okay. Got it. Yep, exactly. Perfect. Yeah. And so in the book, I talk about um, the idea of, you know, for anybody who's in the building or or architecture, I talk about this idea of intentional experience design or architecting intentional experiences for your customers, because it's not up for debate of like, is there a customer experience? Your customer is going to have an experience with your brand, right? It's happening all the time, all around in every single interaction. It, with every single employee, with every single piece of technology, with every single subcontractor, with every single sub-subcontractor, with every single supplier, like all of these things together create this customer experience. And so in the book, I talk about the idea of intentionally architecting the experience. Because if you haven't designed what you want it to feel like for your customer to work with you, then it is very difficult to ensure that outcome. And the same way you wouldn't start building a building without blueprints, like why would you let people on your team engage and interact with your customers without saying, this is how we do it. Like, this is the plan. This is what it looks like. These are the solutions that are acceptable. These are the solutions that are not. These are the behaviors that are important. These are the ones that are not. And when I talk about this intentional experience architecture, I don't mean that you should, like, you shouldn't end up with a manual that looks like you're trying to, like, fly a Boeing Dreamliner, right? Like, you shouldn't have, like, SLAs and systems and processes that, like, nobody's ever going to look at and be like, oh, I built this 5,000 Excel, you know, square grid, whatever they call them, cell, right? Like a 5,000 cell Excel uh, customer experience map, spreadsheet, right? Yeah. Cause people will be like, oh, I did a journey yep. map in a spreadsheet and it's, you know, 84 yeah. columns long. And I'm like, well, guess what? That was kind of a fruitless exercise because nobody's ever going to look at that again. Like you've got to create something that is usable. And if you want to exceed your customer's expectations, you've got to teach your employees in a way to do it that both feels natural to them and is also simple, simple to remember, simple to execute, simple to measure so that it's consistent because the like how many times have you been out to eat at a restaurant and it was like really great. And then you went back again and it was like, okay, like, do you roll the dice and go a third time? Maybe, maybe not, but like, probably not because you didn't have consistency and you don't know which of your experiences was the normal one and which was the exception. So you've got to create an intentional experience design plan so that you can architect the things that you need to do to ensure consistency across things like location and employees and like months and scopes and all of those things i think this is why if you remember the movie office space why they have the guy that talks between the engineers and and the customers because the engineers did not know how to talk and when they were going through it they were like i'm the guy that talks talks to them don't you understand well (laughs) you're what you're talking about is exactly that i mean if that's if that's the way but really what you're talking about is that everyone should be able to talk that way and you don't need that in-between go-to person. Ideally, you don't need that in-between person, but sometimes you do. And and you may, like, you may be listening to this and say, oh, I absolutely need the go-between. Even if somebody is not directly 
speaking with customers, they need to understand that it is their job to serve customers. Every single job description you write should begin with the words to serve our customers by, because I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're in accounting. I don't care if you're in like procurement, like whatever it is that you do, like you are ultimately doing that in service of customers because that business that's giving you a paycheck would not exist without your customers. And I think sometimes people can lose sight of that if they've never worked with customers or been directly involved in those interactions. So again, this all goes back to the, when we're starting with our story, deciding what are the types of behaviors that are non-negotiable in the people that we invite either to be an employee or a contractor or a supplier in any way, because there are people out there who align with what it is that you set out to say, this is who we are. You just have to know what that is before you can find them. Excellent points. Like, uh, mind blown. So thank you. I, I'm, <laughs> I've been taking notes this entire time. So awesome. I hope someone else is writing as many notes as I am because I've got a few. I thought I knew everything, right? And then, <laughs> and then I met Brittany and now I know nothing. So I'm learning. Well, Will, you're very kind. I'm sure you will be kind enough to share some of those notes that you've taken in the show notes so that people can Ah. hopefully not have to write quite as much as you, but be able to to jump ahead with their learning. And of course, for anybody who's like, oh, I didn't take notes, you can always get the book. It's available in a beautiful color, hardcover edition, and you can also get it as an audiobook or an ebook. So are you reading the audiobook by any chance? Oh, (laughs) I did read the audiobook. Yes. It is a lot harder than I thought it would be too. I, I think I my goal is for my next book to hopefully get to the level where I can hire a celebrity to do it for me because man, it's Matthew McConaughey is fabulous. If you haven't <laughs> listened to his book. Yeah. Is he gonna narrate your audiobook when you put it out? It, that's exactly the game plan. Now it'll probably end up being me, but that's just that, you know, <laughs> nonetheless. Uh, all right. So uh, R. R, right? We, we need it. We need R. We need we need to finish. <laughs> R. Yes, R is repeat. So I have good and bad news for anybody who was like, oh, five things to remember. That's a lot. The good news is R is just repeat. And the bad news is R is repeat. (laughs) So you don't get to just like do these five things. It is not a set it and forget it. Customer experience is a day in, day out, every time people are at work, philosophy that has to be embraced and, and really lived. So R, repeat, is all about those things that you've done. You've got to consistently showcase your story that you started with. You've got to consistently understand your customers, consistently personalize things and consistently exceed their expectations. And by doing those over and over again, that is how you build your brand. There's another quote that I'm going to share with you guys that I just love, love, love from Elizabeth Arden, which is repetition makes reputation and reputation makes customers. So you've got to have that repetition. And I know you guys focus a lot on technology here and you know what are the processes that you've got to have tech enables that repetition tech enables you to automate and systematize things so that you're not having to constantly work in your business you have the opportunity to work on it including the intentional experience architecture and some of the other things that i've talked about over the past 45 minutes or so that uh, makes it makes it easy. That's four. So and then just repeat, right? So uh, two questions yep. about the book specifically. Does that mean like the last section, that fifth section, is like, well, just reread what I wrote already in the past four <laughs> sections? Because I mean, like, it's what you're doing. And then when you were going through writing the book, were you going through this framework and saying, 
you know, is it S, is it U, is it P? Am I do am I defining that throughout this book? Because it, it feels like not just an idea for business, but maybe more of a life idea of how you just interact with individuals, human beings across your day-to-day life. Well, thank you for saying that. My mom actually said that she's retired and she was like, I just want to be super in my life. Like, I'm going to share this with the women in my Bible study group. Like, we should just be super. And I was like, oh, thanks, mom. So, yes, it absolutely can be applied more broadly. No, the R section is not all that short because I talk about (laughs) building the systems and processes. So Will, you'll love it because there's even more frameworks there. I talk about automation when it is a good thing, when it is not necessarily the best thing, delegation, checklists, all the tools that we can use to ensure that the repeatability is is there at every step of the process. So I actually look at S-U-P and E in the R section to provide tips on how to systematize the things that you need to know for those pillars. And then at the end of the book, I have something that I call my super groups breakdown, where I look at the super model for various parts of the organization. So this is super sales, this is super marketing, this is super customer service. And even though I talk about those departments, one of my beliefs is that the biggest issue impacting customer experience today is the over siloification of businesses because customers don't look at a business as like this department, this department, this department, this department. They they're like, I you work at this company, you fix my problem. But oftentimes employees are like, oh, I don't do that. Like I'm not in that department. Like that's not my problem. That's not my problem. And no customer ever in the history of the world has wanted to hear from an employee, that's not my problem. Because to them, it is. So I talk about how to sort of break down those silos and how to use customer centricity and customer experience across every part of your organization so that everyone can be super. I think I answered all your questions. Oh, and I also did try to make the book very super. I made it fun. It's a business book, but it doesn't feel like a business book. I use a lot of color. I use a lot of design. I use a lot of fun pop culture references so that it's fun to read, even though I'm giving frameworks and, you know, talking about things that, that, traditionally maybe weren't thought of as like super fun. Well, this has been a very, very fun conversation. So I, I can only imagine. I'm excited to read it. Um, you've certainly got a, at least one uh, additional super fan here of uh, the Brittany. Oh, two. We, we, we got two. Uh, two. There you go. Two super fans of Brittany. Yay. I'll take it. <laughs> Will, we going, going to last question? What are we doing? You got more? I want to I wanna move back to something because repeatability building automation and all of this. So when looking at a looking at a company, right? A lot of times what you're talking about the S, right? Start with your story, the uniqueness and whatnot. Um, I don't remember who said it, but it's know thyself, uh, I think is kind of the, is really what it comes down to and, and it's awareness and whatnot. But if a person can't describe or describe very well Yes, and super, then the rest of it kind of falls flat on his face, right? And I know people that have been sort of searching for S for a really long time, even though they might have it, but having a hard time verbalizing it, might have some picture of it in their brains, but not necessarily uh, being able to verbalize it to their customers, clients, whatever, whatever it is. Can they do the other parts of super in order to be able to... and figure out the S a little bit later? Not as well. And that's honestly why it's start with your story instead of just story. Because if you are not clear on that, 
you are not going to be clear on any of the other things. It really is foundational. It really is like, no, you can't frame the house and then go back and do the concrete later. Like you really should start with that part because again, we are not living in just a price-based economy anymore. It is an experience economy. And if you, if you have not done the work to figure out how you are differentiated, then you are not like you are still competing in a commodity market. So um, for anybody who is like, I don't know, I would ask yourself, what do you love the most? What did you want to be when you grew up when you were five years old? What are the things about your job now that that five-year-old would be excited about? I actually have an entire playbook. So anybody who buys the book can go to a URL inside the book and download, I don't even know how many pages, it's probably like 40 pages of worksheets or fun sheets as somebody told me I should call them instead of worksheets because it sounds less like homework. Um, but there are a bunch of different downloads. And then there are some videos that I have that that help people sort of uncover. Because if you think about your purpose, like, like it's very hard, right? To be like, I don't know what's my purpose. But if you start to ask yourself questions like, what do I love doing the most? Like when I'm procrastinating a big task, what do I like fill my time with? What am I like? Well, let me work on these things. And why do you love those elements of those things that you're doing? And what are some times in your life when you remember feeling that same way, doing other things? And as you start to kind of like peel back the onion and go a little bit deeper, you will absolutely get to your purpose. What is the hardest part for people to do as a small organization versus a large organization. And if, I know you've worked with many different types, right? I have a suspicion, but I'd rather that you answer it, especially, you know, GCs, uh, engineers, et cetera. We'll, and I don't mean to stereotype, but if we're looking at large organizations, what do they have a harder time with in the super format versus small organizations in the super format? Well, S is hard for everybody. I would say with smaller organizations, the challenge in S is either people who don't want to be out front. They're like, well, I don't want a personal brand, which it's like, spoiler alert, you have one. The minute you went into business with yourself, for yourself, like you became a brand, right? The question is not, is there one? The question is like, are you controlling it or is someone else controlling it? So a lot of times on the smaller side, they're like, I don't want to make it about me. I don't want it to be about me, but it has to be because that is what your customers want. If you are a you know sole proprietor, if you're a small business owner, like owner, you are the company like that. That is true. Um, and you've got to sort of embrace that and use that to your advantage or what's going to happen is uh, your competitors who maybe wouldn't do as good a job of as you would do are going to get that business because they've done a better job of making themselves discoverable online or talking about themselves online. So you owe it to your customers to share your story. You're doing a disservice to them if they end up working with somebody else instead of you because they didn't know you existed or they didn't know why you were awesome. So that is something that small businesses struggle with. Um, with larger businesses, I would say the, the problem always with large businesses is alignment. Like, you know, because every uh, uh, very, I won't say always, like very decisive CEOs are fantastic. They're like, we're going to get the four or five people in the room. We're going to nail all of this out. We're going to look at some of the things uh, that we do and that we say, because a lot of times companies are like, oh, yeah, we've got these core values. We've got, you know, these principles. This is who we are. And then you look at it and it's like, well, no, you're not. Like you you say that your core values are these three things, but those are like posters on a wall. That's not what you're doing. That's not how your employees feel. And none of them could recite those core values because they're not true. That's not their lived experience. So 
most organizations, when they do this, they're like, oh, let's invite in a hundred people and make this like a six month exercise. And they want to make it take like way too long, which again, is like exactly why you need to do it the way that I describe in the book, which is like getting clear on it with the smallest group of people and then sharing with everyone else that that's what it is. Because otherwise you would just end up with like a super diluted, like, you know, it becomes like a game of telephone. Not to say that you shouldn't solicit feedback from your team, but you absolutely need to have somebody who is the decision maker who says, you know, I am moving forward and getting this because we all need to be telling the same story versus, you know, we've got 4,000 employees and 4,000 different versions of who we are and why we do what we do. That's amazing. Thank you for that. So one last question for me, I swear, then I'll let Justin close it out here for us. So chat GPT and just AI has been a big thing. Is there a way to leverage AI technology in what you're talking about? And if so, how would one do that? There absolutely is. Um, You can leverage AI for a lot of communication things, a lot of top of the funnel things, a lot of like if you want to create blog posts or you want to create manuals or things that that help your customers using AI to get sort of a first draft of that content and then to go in and refine it can can absolutely save time. I am not a huge fan of chatbots. Depending on your business, that may be a good deployment of AI. But for the most part, I like as a customer, like I, unless it's, you know, hey, I need to reset my password or something like I don't want to talk with bot, I want to talk with person. So again, that kind of depends on what your business is and and what the experience is that you want to provide to your customers. But AI will undoubtedly change a lot about every industry over the next 20 years. I do not believe that in our lifetime, professionals, I I do not believe that many jobs that people are sort of predicting right now that are going to be replaced by AI will. But what I do believe is that people who embrace AI will will replace people who do not. So it's not about like AI replacing people. It's about people who are smart about the way they use AI replacing people who are not and do not. Very insightful. I love uh, love that share. I love the thought process there. So I agree with you. Thank you. I just love watching Justin's face. It's like all these, like I can see your aha moments, Justin. It's very fun. That I wear it. I wear it on my face. I wear my face on my face usually. It's a good place to wear your face. Where I keep it. Yeah, it's a good. It is. Jet Chat GPT. So I'm writing. I'm writing a book on purpose. So this is kind of in, in line here. Um, but I, me and Will were playing with it, and I asked it to write a Simpsons episode based on like the response of purpose it gave me, and it was scary accurate. I'm gonna. I'll send that over to you just to like, if you're a Simpsons fan, I don't know. But like, it was like baffling. I was like, yep, this is totally an episode. They could just take this, draw it up, and and you're done. There you have it. Throw throw some dialogue in, and, and you're good to go. So it's getting it's getting to a place of scariness in regards to how tone, because that's always been the issue. Like, you know, computers could always make words together that technically make sense, but there was no tone. There was no like, this is who I am and this is why you should be my fan. And like, this is like, this is me and I'm me. And that I think is becoming a little bit more hard to, oh, is this you? Is it not context. kind of a thing? So. Yeah, uh, the context is kind of crazy. Yeah. So uh, anyways, uh, on on to the last question. Uh, so Brittany, if you could go back 20 years, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself that the thing that matters most always is people. The way you treat people, the relationships you have with people, 
And uh, that's it. That's really, that's the most important thing. When did you realize that? Probably about a decade ago. I mean, I think a, a big aha moment for me early in my in my journey as an entrepreneur was, I don't know who said this, I think it's probably like a famous quote or something, but the idea of not taking criticism from anyone you wouldn't go to for advice, like sort of blew my mind. I was like, because I was always somebody who was like a people pleaser and wanted to do right by people. And then when somebody criticized me, it was like, oh my God, now I've got to like recalibrate to go like change that person's mind or whatever. And then, you know, going back to the Chicago method of just flipping the bird and saying, F you, like, you know, sometimes that's the right thing to do because people matter more than anything, but the same way, not every customer is right. Not every person is going to be right. And not every person is going to be right to be on this wild, crazy journey of life with you. So never take criticism from someone whom you wouldn't go to for advice because if you don't care about their good advice why would you care about their negative advice that's probably super excellent for you specifically now obviously you you have you have a, a brand speaking author all this stuff and you also have the internet which is a scary <laughs> place for any human being to to interact with other individuals for too long so that is probably that can be very uh, can make things uh, much easier to uh, deal with or you know, be more stoic and stoic beliefs on those things. So totally. Yeah, I had a few months ago, um, I did an event and it was like, I don't know, like a 1000 people or something. And the event organizer was like, I have to share this feedback with you, your feedback for me, because you got like, it was like a 4.97 or something. It was like the highest that they'd had. They were like, this is amazing. And so she sent it to me and it was several hundred people who had, you know, most of them were like, oh, nice job. I learned a lot, super or whatever. There was one person who had given me a one and his feedback was, I don't like female speakers. <laughs> and I just started laughing because I was like, not only do you feel that, but you like wrote it on a feedback form in like 2002. Like that is clearly a you thing, not a me thing. So at some point you have to be like, you know, all those people writing mean comments on the internet, you just, that that's about them. That's not about you. You just got to siphon through all of that to find the ones that like are about you that you could potentially, you know, learn from or take something away from. That, that's like in Step Brothers is your face. I don't know. Something about your face. Can, can I do anything <laughs> to fix that? No, just just, yeah. just your face. I don't know what to say. Also, uh, Four Agreements, if you ever read that book, like that's the epitome of like, yeah, it's, it's always them. It's never you. Like it, it's, it's always a problem that they have with themselves. So, okay. So we've got everything done. Is there anything else you'd love to tell the people before we uh, we sign off? We'll throw all your social and uh, link to the book, all that kind of stuff in, in the, the post notes. Uh, but anything else you want to tell the people? No, thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. And believe me when I say that you don't just deserve super fans, but you can create them. And they are so important because when you say you're great, that's marketing. But when your customers tell their friends you're great, that is magic. And that is where your world and your life and your business change forever. Well, thank you, Brittany. You are great. Uh, and I am saying that as a fan. So, oh, thanks, guys. Thank, thank you for the wise words. Thank you for your new frameworks. I will definitely be uh, <laughs> pocketing those in, in my head. And thank you for your time as well. Amazing. Thanks, guys. And to all our listeners, adios. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If this episode did help you, then be sure to share it with someone else who needs to hear it. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or looking for additional help on your journey to find more wealth, 
scale, and freedom in your AEC company, visit our AEC resources page at spotmigration.com backslash AEC hyphen resources. resources.